Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you another evening, another Thursday night, reflecting into the richness of our faith within the context of apologetics. Uh, once again, I have Rob Sheridan joining me. Rob, it is good to have you with me another night. Great to be back. So, Rob, tonight we have the opportunity to talk uh, more about the stuff of Scripture. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about, you know, conversing with atheists, agnostics, theists. Now we have the opportunity to get in more into Scripture with how to talk with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want to make the point up front, this night and future nights are really about um, why we believe what we believe as Catholics. And I know out there, a number of our listeners, Rob, Look at, you know, the Catholic Church as this very dogmatic, pontificating entity and institution who's some sort of punitive authoritarian, you know, waving their club. When in reality, we, we recognize that uh, we're all sinners and we're just looking to, to hand on truth as a flower. And, and we do so for a reason, because we believe in our heart of hearts that that flower is what attracts and as we get closer to the flower, we begin to smell its fragrance. The great Archbishop Fulton Sheen once said, there are a million people who hate the Catholic Church for what it is not, and a hundred for, for what it is. <laughs> so our job here, Rob, tonight and really moving forward is about explaining to our listeners why we believe what we believe as Catholics with... Um, scripture and tradition at our side and how sacred scripture opens us up to sacred tradition, right? This is what we're going to be talking about tonight and moving forward. So if you have any questions, please do not hesitate to email me at jholljmj at yahoo.com or you can contact me through my website. Just go to joeholcraft.org. With that, Rob, what I thought we could do is just, you know, get into sacred scripture itself and what is sacred scripture? You know, Sacred Scripture is the written Word of God uh, put down on paper by human authors under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know for many of our um, brothers and sisters in Christ out there, this is what we have in common, you know, sacred Scripture. And so, where do we see the Word itself in Scripture, uh, the New Testament? Well, Christ uses it. You know, John 5, 39, you search, this, you search the scriptures because in them they bear witness to me. On the road to Emmaus, he's talking about breaking open scriptures, how he's a, a new Moses. Now, what's important here, Rob, is to look at what that word is in the Greek, the, the graphi. It's really the Old Testament writings is what he's talking about. So what he wants us to see is how in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, all of those stories prefigured, anticipated, foreshadowed, uh, were types of Christ. Okay, so uh, we call this typology. We see the word in Romans 5, verse 14, how Adam was a type of Christ. Through Adam, 
we experience death through Christ, we experience life. And so all throughout the Old, Old and New Testaments, we see how uh, there's this wonderful unity that we discover once we begin to read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. The great quote from Thomas Aquinas is, in the Old Testament lay shadowy figures of Christ. So the context of the Old Testament, of the Old Covenant, is very important for Christ's usage of scriptures. Very important. And this is, we're laying the foundation now because this is going to be something we come back to often. And understanding that uh, in that word type, we have a pattern. In fact, the Greek word itself, typus, is pattern, figure, or example. You know, Rob, I think we've both used typewriters in our day. You know, what is a typewriter? Let's just simplify this. A typewriter is when a small piece of uh, metal strikes a canvas and it leaves an impression, a figure, if you will. Okay, well... There were these Old Testament figures, there were these Old Testament patriarchs that were striking the uh, canvas of salvation history. They were leaving impressions, if you will, to that of Christ. And when Christ came, he says, look at me, I've come to fulfill, and I've come to transform. Oh, sure. I mean, if you, if you look at the major characters of the Old Testament, almost all of them are prefiguring Christ, Jonah in the whale, um, Joseph, um, in, in Egypt, Moses, Adam, all, all prefigure Jesus. And when we, when we shortchanged the old Testament, when we, when we shortchanged these, these stories that, that came before, we shortchanged our understanding of the new Testament. We shortchanged our understanding of Jesus. God had this all in mind. He, mm-hmm. he had it all planned out. He knew exactly what he was doing. Jesus had all of eternity to think about what he was going to say, which figures he was going to quote. It, it, it's no accident that yeah. Adam, sin comes from a tree, Christ, redemption comes on, on the cross, the tree. It's, it's no accident. When you look at typology... It's, yes, Christ fulfilled the Old Testament, but it's also other pieces as well. I mean, for example, the wonderful example of Abraham. It's my favorite, because here you have a father who asks his son to carry wood on his shoulder up the mountain to become a sacrifice. And of course, Isaac was obedient, and he he does so. And then, of course, the angel of the Lord intervenes there in, in Genesis 22, 8, and what I love about the story, Rob, is, you know, it's, it's in the city of Salem, right? And the, the Hebrew word there, when Christ intervenes and says, or rather, when the angel of the Lord intervenes and says, I will provide the lamb, the Hebrew translation there for provide lamb is Jeru. And from that point on, what was once Salem, the city of peace, is now Jerusalem, the city of peace where God will provide the lamb. And of course, this is what he does. He doesn't in history, because if you keep on reading Genesis 22, uh, Genesis chapter 22, what happens? And there's a ram who gets his horn stuck in these thistles, ultimately, and well, God provides the, the slaughter, right? Well, fast forward uh, 1,800 years, and what do you have? Christ, the son who is obedient, who ultimately takes wood up the mountain. What's fascinating, Rob? Something that often gets overlooked, and if we can just tease this out a little further, 
the Latin translation um, for wood beams or cross beams is, is the same kind of thing you have with uh, horns. So it's Christ's thorns, thistles, getting stuck into these horns. So almost at Fulton Sheen draws this out in this fascinating way, uh, Christ becomes the, the new ram, well, the new lamb in this case, but uh, a sacrificial offering. And all of this kind of points to bigger picture stuff. You know, the great quote from uh, Mark Twain, that history never repeats itself, but it has a rhyme scheme. Um, in Scripture, we have these rhyme schemes. And what, what do they do for us, Rob? They show us that we come from somewhere. Why does Christ say you search the scriptures because in them they bear witness to me? Why does he show um, those who are on the road to amaze that he's a new Moses? Because he wants them to see that, yes, he's come to fulfill and at the same, same time transform, but also that we have a pedigree. We have a spiritual history and ancestry that we need to embrace. I mean, how many of us, Rob, get excited when we can... Uh, fill out a family tree, you know? We have a spiritual family tree, and this is worth getting excited about. Oh, uh, <laughs> you, you made me, my eyes light up because I'm big into genealogy, and mm-hmm. um, my, my grandfather, he, tra- he traced his side of the family all the way back to, to the Revolutionary War. We, we can do that spiritually. We can trace our spiritual genealogy all the way back to Adam through Christ, through what we have in in scripture and tradition, both of these draw us back into the family, into the trunk of the tree. Yeah, amen to that. And you know, Rob, um, we're going to be talking about this much uh, more in later programs where we talk about the importance of Matthew's genealogy. Why is Matthew opening up his gospel with Christ being the son of Abraham, son of David? Because he knows his audience is focused in on, in the Hebrew, toledoth, it's the Hebrew where this this genealogy, which is their identity. It's who they are. It's where they come from. This is very, very important. In fact, that, yeah, Christ is a part of this. Now, for all of this, we talk about this, Rob, because we need to see the importance of the unity of the two Testaments and also the way in which Christ himself is using scriptures. We don't often think about this, but, you know, we read scriptures while well, he's quoting scriptures. Well, what scriptures is he actually quoting? He's quoting the Old Testament, not the New Testament, because the New Testament wouldn't have been written yet, right? Because Christ is still alive. So when Christ himself says, you search the scriptures because in them they bear witness to me, he's talking about the importance of the Old Testament there, but not the New Testament as we think of it today. In fact, when you start talking about what Christ asked his apostles to do, I mean, what did he actually say? Well, he didn't write a book. He uh, didn't write a treatise or a poem, or he didn't give any instruction on paper. Um, the only thing he actually wrote, he wrote into dirt on John, I think it's John uh, 8, verse 6, right? So what little he did write, <laughs> uh, one can offer up a theological reflection for what that was, but that's another radio program. <laughs> Ultimately, Christ did not proclaim his message, uh, message in books, but he commanded his apostles to do what he did, preach, teach, and heal. Not write this, but do this. Do this in remembrance of me. And so this is what the apostles did. They preached, they teached, they baptized, right? And they made disciples of all nations. I and mean, we have to remember, you know, Rob, 
Christ dies roughly 33 AD. We have at least, at least 20 years, maybe if not a little more, of a salvific sacramental church, because roughly in 53 AD is when we have Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. So 20 years, Rob, 20 years. The question that begs to be asked is, why didn't they write? Well, because he didn't command it, but there's something else going on here too. Oh, absolutely. The, the majority of the people in the world at that time were illiterate. And, mm-hmm. and so writing things down served very little purpose. What was written down in the, in the epistles and in the New Testament was, was meant to be read aloud to an assembly of people. The, the, these weren't something that you would sit at home and you would study. This, this was read aloud when, when the faithful would gather together in the liturgy, and it would be broken open and, and discussed amongst themselves. This, this was not private study material like it is now. Yeah, and if you were to go into um, Paul's uh, epistle to the Thessalonians, I think it's uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.15, he's talking about just not the importance of the written word and what he's writing to them, but also the oral word. Yeah, so this gives, we just gave the Catholics time to pick out their Bibles because they don't have them with them. <laughs> um, but Second uh, Second Thessalonians, So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught by us, either by word of mouth or by letter. Yeah, so there what you have is really a definition of uh, sacred tradition. Sacred tradition is the word of God uh, handed on by oral transmission under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I love that passage, Rob, because in that passage you have really the beauty of the two, sacred tradition uh, and sacred scripture, what is orally handed on and what is handed on in uh, written form. Now, for all of that, uh, it's really important to speak to what Christ was talking about when he said, do this. We have in Luke 22... 1920, then also Mark 14, 24, some important verses. So as we talk about, Rob, what Christ didn't do by way of writing a treatise or writing a poem or proclaiming his message in a book and all the rest, what did he say when he said, do this? What was it, in fact, that the apostles were supposed to do? So let's go to Luke 22, verses 19 and 20. This is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Now I want to go to Mark 14, 24. Listen to these words from Mark. And he said unto them, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. So what's going on here, Rob? Okay, that word testament essentially is a translation of uh, the Hebrew berith and the Greek diatheke. It is what's better translated as covenant. That's why in some translations of our um, Bibles we have not testament but covenant. And we've already spoken to the importance of the old covenant. What does the word covenant itself mean? It's uh, now, the Latin convenire means to come together, a compact agreement. But in God's eyes, it's more than just a coming together in things. It's not, this is yours and this is mine. It's, I am yours and you are mine. It's a familial bond. And so, 
all throughout the Old Testament, we have these patriarchs who are entering into covenant relationship with God with the hallmark that is sacrifice. So now we have the Lamb of God who has come to transform all sacrifices unto himself. And he says, this is the sacrifice of the new covenant translated in some of our scriptures as testament. Now what's going on there? Well, the Latin testamentum uh, is the best the Latin can do in translating what's behind berith and diatheke. Why is this important? Well, Historically speaking, at least in the first 150 years, the phrase New Testament was never applied to documents, was never applied to a canon of sacred writings, was not applied to the way we think about the New Testament today, at least initially. It wasn't until the end of the second century that you see it a handful of times, and it certainly wasn't until the third century that you began to really see it. If you were to go into the writings of Clement of Rome, he talks about this, that the New Testament is not synonymous with documents as much as it is synonymous with Christ instituting the Eucharist to give thanks. So when he says, this is the blood of the New Testament, what, he, what is he saying, Rob? You know, I'm, I'm often asked the question, Joe, where is the New Testament in the Mass? Ah, the Mass is the New Testament. It's a turning of that phrase. And Rob, this isn't me carrying on. I mean, this, this is the stuff of the first, I mean, Clement of Rome, these are the first Christian fathers. And so widely important to our study as it relates to sacred scripture and sacred tradition, because ultimately... The Eucharist, the Mass, is the privileged center of sacred tradition. We talked about the importance of a genealogy, the importance of our ancestry, or the, our pedigree, where we come from. Why is it important? So that we can have that conversation with the past, right? The Church, in the Eucharist, each and every day, it converses with the past. And who we are, as Catholics and Christians, comes alive. Yeah, I, we, we really need to, to have due respect for the past, for the writings of those first Christians. We, we, when we read the Bible, very, very few of us know the context that these works were written in, that these letters were written in. And, and so when we go back and we look and see what the, the, the early church fathers had to say when they're commenting on some of the, the, the gospel writings and the epistles, it breaks them open in such a new way that we just lose in our English language 21st century thinking. We, we, we don't understand it. And yeah. so it's so important to go back to history. And that's why I think history or uh, sacred tradition and sacred scripture work so well together. And it's not one versus the other. It's, it's the two blending seamlessly together, one breaking open the other, the other breaking open the other. Yeah, it's one in line of the other, mutually illuminating. Yeah. Be mutually illuminating. You know, Rob, you, you speak of the importance of the past and like the way you put it there. I mean, what are we talking about here? We need to interpret Scripture in two senses, 
the literal sense and the spiritual sense. This is how the Christian fathers interpreted it. So what does that mean? The literal sense is the historical context, the intention of the author. Why does Matthew start his gospel with the fact that Jesus comes from Abraham, uh, Abraham's lineage and, and David's lineage? Well, because that's important because his audience, a Palestinian Christian Jewish audience, is going to know the Old Testament. So it's very important for Matthew. Now to us, that may, may seem ridiculous, but the literal sense, historical context we can say the original habitat of Scripture is very important. I mean, if I'm a zoologist, okay, and I get an animal, and I have to treat this animal, what am I going to do? I'm going to go back to his original habitat, because if he's suffering from some sort of disease, maybe it's something eaten. he's eaten, right? I need to go into this animal's history, his original habitat, to better understand what's before me. Sacred Scripture, though, is not a corpse. It's not dead. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. So then we also interpret Scripture in light of the spiritual sense. You know, what does Scripture uh, mean for me today? How does it draw me deeper into relationship with God? How am I to better myself? How am I to act more justly based upon the Word of God? It has its spiritual application, Rob, but we have to appreciate this foundational sense, which means rolling up our sleeves and working in the tall grass a little bit. St. Jerome, my favorite quote, ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. If the Christian faith is about being in a relationship with Jesus Christ, what better place to go than the Word of God with the Eucharist, but also the Word of God? There you will find the answer to all your dreams. You know, Rob? And so we enter into this courtship with scripture, mindful that you want to know what like any of us, when we want to get to know our beloved, we'll dig deeper because we want to get to know them. Well, Christ is our beloved. Let us dig deeper. Let us get to know him. And we don't have to be Hebrew and Greek scholars necessarily, but get into the church fathers. You know, I highly recommend Origin for biblical theology. Read some St. Augustine, some Tertullian. You know, some of these people are, well, what is, well, who's that? <laughs> you know, some of these names. These are important figures. They gave their lives for this stuff, Rob. You talked about how important was it for them. It was so important, they gave their lives for it. So it's really important to be sensitive to this. Now, as we're talking about this, Rob, let's speak to the New Testament as we understand it today a little bit, the, the books themselves. 27, right? So we have 27 books that were codified, if you will, at the end of the fourth century. If you could, Rob, just go ahead and read that section there in this chapter that we're talking about as it relates to Dr. Scott Hahn's work, Reasons to Believe. He talks about what we're talking about now, and he buttons it up pretty nicely. It wasn't until the 4th and 5th centuries that the institutional church fixed the New Testament in the form that we know it today, and it was brought to that form after a thorough investigation through the work of bishops and synods of bishops, a process familiar to Catholics of every historical age, since the first generation. The complete Christian canon, or list of New Testament scriptures, was attested by St. Athanasius in 367 AD, but accepted universally only with the Synod of Rome in 380 and the councils of Hippo and Carthage in 393, 397, and 417 AD. The pseudonymous books, sometimes called the New Testament Apocrypha, had long since been discredited, so there was no debate about their inclusion. But exclusion was quite another matter. Up until the last minute, misguided scholars argued for the removal of the books of Revelation, 
Hebrews, 2 Peter, and others. The settlement of the canon was certainly God's will, but it was not a foregone conclusion by any human measure. So what you have there essentially, Rob, is the fact that at the end of the 4th century, in the beginning of the 5th century, you have the New Testament codified into a canonical form. And the, the Greek word for uh, canon is, is canon, it's measuring stick. So the question that begs to be asked is, what was the measuring stick? The Mass! What were the readings being proclaimed in the Mass? You know, the documents we call the New Testament were written and proclaimed in the context of the sacraments of the New Testament. It's to see that ultimately the sacrament of the New Testament gives form and shape to what we understand today as the documents of the New Testament. We earlier talked about typology, Rob. There were books in place being proclaimed in the early Christian Eucharistic liturgies that had the old and the new coming together. And they were prayerfully, with great discernment, decided upon. Yeah, these books are what are essentially inspired and belong in the canon of the New Testament. And so all of this is very relevant. And it's interesting, I'm looking down on my notes, Rob. We were talking about the importance of the Old Testament. We would be remiss if we didn't, and maybe we can end with this, a brief reflection with Paul. Paul was the man who understood the Old Testament, right? Paul was once Saul before he was knocked off his horse, if he was knocked off his horse. <laughs> he had this great conversion. He was the great persecutor of the Christians. Okay, He was the prized pupil of one Rabbi Gamaliel. It was said of him, when he died, the glory of the Torah died. And he was, uh, he was the rabbi of rabbis. Everyone looked to Rabbi Gamaliel. He's in Acts 5. Saul, who we know as St. Paul, was his prized pupil. He had the Old Testament on his fingertips. He quotes, he quotes the Old Testament up to 500 times. Now, why is all of this important? He quotes Christ just a couple times. And one of those times was when he was quoting from our Lord's words, this is the blood of the new covenant. It was important to Paul because he saw that in those words, Jesus Christ was instituting the fulfillment of the old covenant in his blood, and that this was to be the New Testament, not in document form, in sacramental form, not in written form, in ritualized form. This is what the first apostles were about. This is what the first Christian uh, teachers were bearing testimony to. And this, Rob, is what lies at the heart of our discussion of sacred scripture and sacred tradition. It was said by one Carol Stolmeyer that scriptures are nothing more than liturgical documents, one sacrifice after another, fulfilled and transformed in Christ's sacrifice. Amen. Any closing words, Rob? Oh, I think you, you summed it up about <laughs> perfectly there, Joe. All right, let us wrap up in prayer. And again, if you have any questions, thoughts, comments, don't hesitate to shoot me an email, j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j at yahoo.com. I look forward to your feedback. As we, Rob, move forward to look at, um, based upon the unity of sacred scripture and sacred tradition next week, we're going to get into the marks of the church, which should be a fun discussion. All right, Rob, let's close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.
You've been listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening from 6.30 to 7 p.m. right here on KKXX. If you have questions or feedback, you may email Joe at jholljmj at yahoo.com. For a copy of today's program, visit joeholcraft.org or call KKXX during regular business hours at 894-7325. Thanks for listening to the Seeds of Truth on KKXX.